The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing! I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. Yeah, I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. The following is a presentation of the Speed Sport Podcast Network. Mike Wallace doesn't have all that much driving experience. For the last three or four years, he's put in his views in this business. Mike Wallace comes down to the line. He'll pick up the win. It's fast car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace. The battle's for the lead. Mike Wallace gets by Jason Leffler. Mike Wallace comes off turn number four. A great move in that corner. He comes to the line and will win. From grassroots to the top of the racing world. Hear the stories of NASCAR's biggest names and how they made it all the way. Who was Tony Stewart before he was Tony Stewart? I could barely make enough money to pay attention, let alone to try to survive. From the Speed Sport Podcast Studios, powered by My Race Pass, here are your hosts, Mike Wallace and Jeff Kent. Welcome to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace, part of the Speed Sport Podcast Network, powered by My Race Pass. My name is Jeff Kent. Strap yourselves in, pull those belts tight. We'll take you on a journey from short tracks across America to super speedways and everything in between. We're brought to you today by Mark Ficken Ford Lincoln on South Boulevard. The team at Mark Ficken Ford Lincoln works hard every day to be a community partner in supporting their customers, local businesses, as well as being involved in local charities and programs. Visit Ford Lincoln Charlotte. Charlotte.com today for your next vehicle selection, service appointment, or collision need. Today's guest, Mike, a driver and team owner. He's done it all. Uh, last competed part-time in the NASCAR Camping World Truck Series, driving the number three Chevy Silverado for his team, Jordan Anderson Racing. In trucks, he's run 138 races over nine years with six top tens. He began racing in carts at age eight, one of those guys, raced legends, late models as his career developed. In 2016, his truck garnered national attention as it was funded thanks in part to a Fueled by Fans campaign with over 120 fans sponsoring the truck. And I thought, wow, that's creative marketing. Welcome to the podcast, Jordan Anderson. Jordan, say hi to Mike Wallace. Hey, appreciate you guys having me on today. Good morning. Well, good afternoon. Go. going back forth. <laughs> <laughs> well, inter- great to have you on. I'm glad you were able to join us today. And well, you've had quite quite a career in a short period of time. I uh, I have to bring it back up whether you remember this or not. Uh, you used to race against my uh, my daughter Chrissy, my son Matt, over at the Charlotte Motor Speedway, and my wife reminded me as I walked out the door this morning. She goes, "Now you remind Jordan that him and his mom and dad we used to go to Quaker State and Lube after they." Is that right? Yeah, Is that where <laughs> you went? I says, "Okay, I'll bring that up." <laughs> We went there, too. Of course, back in the day when I raced the Legends Car, Sandwich Construction Company was the big deal up there on Highway 49. So yeah, There you go. Went there and hung out and told lies. <laughs> no. Man, I, I tell you, that brings that brings back some good memories. That was, you know, that was back in the day, the shootout. You were, you were happy just to get in the A-Main back then. I mean, we were having, 
you know, 30, 40 legend cars show up for those races. And it was on live TV too. It was on live TV. TV. Yeah. Chrissy was always from stout competition back day. It was, there was about seven or eight of us. I feel like that every week had a shot at, at winning that race when we were semi pro and pro and she was always right there in a the mix with us. And, and it was always some good racing back in the day. And it was a lot of good memories back, back then. That was, uh, I don't think we realized in the moment how much fun we were having and how cutthroat it was and how competitive it was, but a lot of fun memories from back in those days. Yeah, so let's go back to those days, Jordan. The concept of our show, I think I've explained it a little bit to you, but, you know, it's who were you before who you are. And we got a pretty large listening audience that listens to this. How many people listen to this, Jeff? The whole world, Mike. The whole world is listening. Don't be nervous, Jordan. Okay, so, <laughs> so the whole world. So, Jordan, if you don't mind... Take us back. I, I always ask, how, however far you want to go, as long as you can. What got you started in motorsports? What made your interest even generate? And, and when was that? And uh, I'm going to let you tell the story. Yeah, it's it's been quite a ride. I, mean, I turned I turned 32 this year. And oh my gosh, uh, <laughs> you are almost over the hill. And, <laughs> yeah. and you know, you got to think back. I mean, I, I first kind of got into this stuff. I was probably four or five years old, I, I would, would beg to watch races on TV and wanted to go watch the races in person. And I grew up in Columbia, South Carolina. So Darlington was kind of the, the closest track. And my dad had a friend that was uh, working for Bell South at the time. And he would get us hospitality tickets back when I think Nemechek was driving the 42 and we'd always go hang out in the hospitality suites there and do all that stuff. And just kind of, just kind of fell in love with the sport and I was probably seven years old, and this is where you, you think back on timing and how crazy this thing that things work. But we went out to a little go-kart track about a half hour from our house and a little dirt track, and we're sitting in the grandstands. And just, you know, I'm a seven-year-old kid. I'm, I'm meeting other kids there, and we're hanging out and get kind of uh, hanging out with this one family, and, and the kid's name was Nick Hutchins. And, and Nick at the time, um, he was at the time, I think he was four or five, you know, national champion in WK, but he had broken his wrist. So he wasn't racing that night and struck him a conversation, come to find out his mom and dad lived a few blocks from where we did. And he was getting his cast off in a couple of weeks and invited me to come out and try one of his go-karts and went to this little track outside of Columbia, a little paved track, uh, and, and went there and ran probably 20 laps. And that was it. I was in love and knew that was what I wanted to do for the rest of my life and, and, and fell in love with it right there on the spot. And Nick and his family were fortunate enough. They, they sold me one of his old go-karts and my dad and I, he had a little Silverado truck and a lawn trailer and, and off the races we went. And I think one of the, it's funny that you remember stories from a kid that just stick out to you. And, and I still remember this one kid walking up to us and, and, and back then it was, a little rough around the edges, go-kart racing. And this kid walked up and he goes, Hey, your, your toes out. Look at that thing. That's why you're not running fast. And you know, my dad and I, we looked down at our shoes. Like we had no idea <laughs> what we were doing. Beautiful. I love and, that. And we were just, That's where my mind we, we went had, too, you know, <laughs> we had no, no idea about it. And, and I just tell you, I mean, I know a lot of people in the sport, you know, they had a, had an uncle that raced or, you know, a brother or a father or a grandfather or had some kind of idea about the sport. And, my, my dad was, in, you know, had a bunch of rental properties down in South Carolina. He did. My mom was a hairdresser and owned a salon down there. And um, we kind of went about it, figured it out on, along the way and did go-karts for a few years. And they had an exhibition race at that same go-kart track a few years later with a Bandolero car and drove one of those and, and moved up. And that was kind of where the sponsorship journey and learning about some of that stuff kind of started was Bandoleros because my dad had a pretty – pretty serious conversation with me. I said, Hey, you know, we'll help buy the car and we, we can help support you on this little path here, but you got to figure out how to help pay for some of it and learn how, uh, how the sponsorship deal works. Cause you know, being around enough, you see that, you, you know, most of the cars that were up front had sponsors or logos, whether it was a family's company or a long company or whatever. And, you know, started buying books and learning about that stuff. And I'm probably 13, 14 at the time. And, um, this is kind of where the, the journey gets interesting is, is we had a good friend that was um, a neighbor of ours that knew Dick Dyer and Dick Dyer at the time owned probably four or five dealerships there in the Columbia area. Somebody helped connect the dots. You know, I walk in, I'm 13 years old. I walk in with a three ring binder with some pictures of my go-karts and the picture of the bandolero that we had wrapped up with the number on it, number 10 at the time. And I walked in there and, and 
met with Dick Dyer, who owned all these dealerships at the time. And I walk in and I give the best pitch a 13 year old can give at the time about, I want you to support me so I can go race this Bandolero and I'll put you on TV and we're going to run the summer shootout series. And we kind of went through that whole pitch there. And I remember leaving his office and his office was upstairs overlooking the showroom. And I walked down and was getting ready to, to walk out the door where my mom was waiting in the car outside to take me back home. <laughs> and, um, Dick hollered at me from over the balcony, come back up. And I think at the time I'd asked him for $5,000 to be all over the car and taught me a pretty, pretty important lesson right there on the spot. Cause Dick told me, he said, I like what you're doing. I believe in, in, in you, you got a lot of confidence in your, your talents. And I like the fact you're in here selling yourself. I'm going to teach you a lesson. I'm going to give you $10,000. I'm going to give you double you asked for, cause I always want to shoot for more than what I think I'm going to get. Always shoot for more, never settle for less. He said, you're underselling yourself and, need to shoot for more and not settle for it. And for a, for a 12, 13 year old kid, that was a pretty big life moment there. And that was my first ever sponsorship I ever had. And, um, that was kind of what kickstarted this whole journey about, you know, learning the motorsports and the marketing side of it. And it's, uh, it's crazy to think that was 20 years ago, but that's a lesson that still sticks to me to this day. So that's amazing because you start, you said you read some books or looked at some books just for a quick second there before you got to that part. How, what motivated who, who taught you that you needed to even start looking and how did you even know how to put a three ring binder together with a few pictures you know and, and uh we, we know someone opened the door for you but lead us up to that point you got to kind of back up and pull how did you even just think about that because when you first said dad dad had a bunch of rental houses and i went okay well there's the money right yeah you know but dad told you got to pay for some of the things how did you know what the next step was because that's that is a huge topic of conversation in today's race world about money and think about being 13 years old all yeah, right that's what i'm thinking yeah. about yeah i mean i don't even remember when i was 13 but i know i certainly wasn't capable of sitting down with dick dyer and talking money yeah so so <laughs> help us right there for a second if you don't mind just kind of what who helped you get that started i mean or did you somehow figure that out on your own you know my, my dad has been a, a huge supporter of my journey from from day one and he's pushed me to to go beyond above and beyond and, and my dad he, he with his rental properties he's got he started from nothing started from one and my dad to this day, he still is up on roofs fixing shingle. He's putting floors in, he's putting windows in, helping paint houses. I mean, he there's not anything that that guy can't do. And um, growing up watching him, being around him, my mom, she started out as a hairdresser, eventually saved up enough money, bought the salon where she worked, owns it, turned around and started renting it out. So both of my parents are self-employed. They uh, they work for themselves, you know, small business mentality. Um they, ne they never really had a nine to five from as long as I was growing up. They always would would work to do whatever it took. So I think being cut out of that cloth and being around that, both my parents were 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 grinders. You know, they worked hard and being around that, you know, growing up and seeing that that kind of instilled in me that that same kind of work ethic. And you know, we kind of did some dig and asked around. And that was and it's kind of funny. I mentioned that about going to the hospitality stuff and going to some of these races and walking around and. You know, my dad would always kind of key up the conversation about how does sponsorship work and how do you sell and how do you do this? And, you know, we had some friends that, that had a uh, insurance company back home that did a bunch of advertising locally and kind of walked us through some of these pitches that they did when they went to go to these marketing agencies and just tried to tried to learn and ask a lot of questions and just tried to learn as much as we could. And my dad definitely helped key up a lot of those conversations and, and pushed me to, you know, figure it out. I mean, I remember we go to the go to the library and we'd, we'd look up marketing books and look up racing books about how all that stuff worked and tried to learn about it. And this was, I think this was right when we were getting, I think we had the AOL dial up internet, you know, when back when you'd have to get on the computer and it'd tie, tie up the phone line and, and go, all that, all that God awful <laughs> screeching noise. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, and I'm, and I'm forever grateful for that, that lesson I learned early on. Cause that really, you know, didn't, didn't come from a family that could just cut a check to go racing, you know, of, of, from from pretty much that day forward after they helped me with that first bandolero and, and kind of get raced and i've been fortunate enough to have sponsors that kind of have helped fuel this journey and, and keep it going and um a lot a lot of stories tied to that one but that was kind of where it all started and, and knowing that we needed to figure out some way that if these people we see on tv have logos and sponsors all over their cars there's there's something to it and there's a there's a reason it works and 
I got to figure out how to do the same thing, but maybe just on a little smaller scale, you know? Oh, that's beautiful. It's perfect that you, you figured that out. So early in your career, you were go-kart racing. Uh, I remember you as a, a Legends racer, Bandolero racer. I, I apologize not to remember exactly which one, but remember you at the Charlotte Motor Speedway during the shootout all the time. And uh, you, you were a good racer. So from that point, where, where did you go with your career at that point? Yeah, you know, I, it's kind of one of those things where I probably raced Legend cars a little bit longer than and looking back in my career than I maybe should have. But that was the time that was really all we could, we could afford to do. I mean, I, I started racing legend cars in 2004 and raced them all the way through 2008 and, uh, had a lot of great success. We won the nationals at, at Lake Erie in 05. Um, that was back, I think 92 cars showed up to that race. We won the nationals up there, won the 2007, 2008 pro championship back to back at Charlotte. And, um, you know, learned a lot of, a lot of life lessons that period, you know, worked with the Pistones. They helped me a lot with, with my cars. This was Tiger's Tons, Tiger Tom's grandsons, Nick and Chase, and never, never a dull moment hanging around those Boy, guys. Boy, those, those guys were a handful, weren't they? Always In interesting. And <laughs> I, uh, I kind of, kind of got a cool opportunity. We met a family that was racing the Bean family, um, back then. And I was getting ready to go into my senior year of high school and figure out a way to where I could homeschool myself online. And this family opened up, let me move in with them up here in North Carolina. And I moved up my, my senior year of high school and, and haven't moved back to South Carolina since, but did, uh, did the deal to move up here and work in the shop. And the Pistones were nice enough to let me work on my cars and learn all that stuff. And we did some trade out on some things and really kind of made that work. And that was kind of where some of my understanding of working on them came from and, and doing that. But after doing the legend cars through 2008, was doing some stuff with Humpy Wheeler back then. And Humpy was real big on the, the dirt racing. So then you go around dirt for, for a year or two. And so we, uh, we went off and I bought a, a sold my legend cars and bought uh, a dirt late model and went racing for dirt, uh, for two years around the Carolinas, 2009 and 2010 ran, uh, uh, it was the NDRA series, the fast track series. We'd run, uh, Carolina Speedway, Lancaster, Gaffney, uh, Modoc, the dirt track at Charlotte, Withville. We kind of traveled around and ran all those places, and we probably ran close to 60 races in those two years, traveling, doing all the dirt stuff. And that's funny story. The fast forward a couple of years, the the Dooley and Gooseneck that I went dirt dirt truck racing with, that everybody kind of followed us on that journey. When I went dirt racing, I bought that Dooley and Gooseneck hauler. It used to be a uh, Juan Pablo Montoya Haviland show car trailer. Hold that and, thought right uh, there, Jordan. That, that's a good place. We need to take a break. We'll that's a right brush back. with stardom right yeah. there. We're talking to Jordan Anderson. You're listening to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace on the Speed Sport Podcast Network, powered by My Race Pass and NASCAR Digital Media. Please join me, Mark Ficken, and our team at Mark Ficken Ford Lincoln in honoring our brave heroes this Independence Day. We're celebrating by matching Ford and Lincoln's incentive of $1,000 off every new vehicle for active military and first responders with an extra $1,000 off. And now through July 10th, when you buy a new vehicle, we'll donate $50 to the Military Warriors Support Foundation on your behalf. Visit us today at Mark Fick and Ford Lincoln on South Boulevard or FordLincolnCharlotte.com. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring... The best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com match. Just go to Indeed.com slash match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
Welcome back to the Speed Sport Podcast Studios. You're listening to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace. My name is Jeff Kent. We're brought to you today by Mark Ficken Ford Lincoln on South Boulevard. The team at Mark Ficken Ford Lincoln works hard every day to be a community partner in supporting their customers, local businesses, as well as being involved in local charities and programs. Visit FordLincolnCharlotte.com today for your next vehicle selection, service appointments, or collision need. Driver, team owner, Jordan Anderson on the line. And once again, here's Mike Wallace. Well, Jordan, you were bringing us to a good point right there, and I stopped you for a moment, but I, let's hear about the dueling the trailer of Juan Pablo Montoya. That's... Yeah. <laughs> that was quite a quite a combination there, but I knew that, uh, you know, when I raised Legend Cars, kind of part of the deal was with the Fistones, they would they would haul it around for me. I mean, back at the time, they had, heck, they'd have 10, 12 Legend Cars, and we did some work. I actually built a website for them that year, and, and we kind of did some trade-out stuff for them to haul my car around and go racing with it. So when I went dirt racing, we said, hey, all right, we're going to do this deal on our own. Uh, we got a car lined up that we bought. We got shop space. We got everything lined up. Just got to figure out how we're going to get to the racetrack and did some digging. And Steve Heinz from Heinz Performance actually turned me on to it. There was a company out of uh, – down toward Hilton Head, South Carolina, that handled some of that stuff, and they had five or six trailers all lined up, wrapped Havoline, and we went down there and, and made a deal. And I look back now, I got I got quite a deal, and I bought it. It was a 2000, it has like a 2004 Dodge Dually, and a 2004 Exus 40 foot trailer, and I bought both of them for fourteen thousand dollars. I still remember to this day. And man, I should have bought, bought, bought every one you could have. <laughs> Yeah, so we bought we bought that trailer and, and for all those guys that followed dirt race and we had to come home and built ramp over so that thing could fit in over the wheel wells and it was crazy. I mean, I growing up racing asphalt, everything I'd done at that point was asphalt, go karts, bandoleros, legend cars, and you know, an asphalt racer mentality is completely different than that of a dirt racer. You know, because it's just everything's nice and clean, and you go dirt racing. I remember we we put a new body on this car, a guy Billy Cagle down out of out of South Carolina helped us put a body on it with the Godwin family and we we put this beautiful car together and I, I picked a white white cheap metal it was all clean i remember we went to carolina speedway the first time to go test and the track was all rutted up and then the right side had all chips and dings in it and i hadn't even had a chance to wrap it yet and i looked at my dad i said what in the world are we doing like have we lost our minds like this is just <laughs> this is crazy and uh you know sure enough we ran that full year i finished uh Second in points at that deal we ran. I won a race at Carolina Speedway that first year and said, you know what, I feel like I want to, want to get one more year under my belt here to finally figure these cars out. And, you know, through this whole process, I didn't really know what I was learning doing this, but I was, you know, working on the car, taking it to the racetrack, and I was, you know, 18, 19 years old at the time, figuring all this stuff out. I knew that I eventually wanted to get back to asphalt, but I learned a lot of life lessons about dirt racing and the culture of the fans that are there, you know, you go to any dirt race, that dirt race finishes up. They open up the the garage area. There's no, there's no separation. So if, if you, if you rough the guy up and you made that guy's fan mad, they would, they'd make sure to come down there in the garage area for race over and make sure, make sure they, they let you knew they were upset with you. And so I, I learned all about that. I learned about how quick Jack handles can come out of Jack's when another driver's upset at you. I mean, it was a whole, whole different world of racing that i learned a lot about with the culture of it and and kind of you know what it meant to do you know fan engagement going up the fans and meeting people and selling t-shirts and all that stuff so kind of went to school on on that side of things and and ran that second year in 2010 we won seven or eight races that year had a lot of fun and year got over and i said you know what i'm i'm, I'm i've had my my fill of dirt racing i'm ready to go back asphalt racing so i remember we sold everything we had dirt car wise and i had two of them at that point saved up enough money and bought a uh, Hamke super late model. And uh, this is kind of where the, the story continues to get interesting is this was, I guess it was what, 2011. Those people that kind of helped connect the dots for me. We bought a, a car from Devin Jones. He was racing back then. It was a past car, Hamke car, had a black body on it, bought a couple motors as part of the deal and uh, got connected up with David Stremme in mooresville back when he had that uh you remember he had that inception team that 30 cup car that he ran i do yes sir he he had a he had a little bit of shop space that he rented out to me in the back of his shop where i kept my late model up here in mooresville 
and uh, got connected up with Bobby Gill to help crew chief that thing for me. A Florida and, legend right there, baby, Bobby Gill. <laughs> yeah. Black sunshine, the man himself. It, it took me probably <laughs> three three months. I thought Bobby just hated me until I finally figured out that was just who he was. That, that was <laughs> it wasn't anything personal. And and Bobby, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm just always grateful for people that, that, you know, teach you a lot of things. And Bobby was one of those guys. He was hands-on. He knew about that car, and he was precise and, and how things needed to be and look right. And we ran really, really good that year. Um, we, we ran, I think I ran six or seven races. We had that same dueling gooseneck going. And we, again, we had just enough money. This is kind of where it was cool that I had 2008. So I'll go back to when we were running, running legend cars. I went to the city I was from forest acres, South Carolina and pitched them to sponsor my legend car at the time. And, Every single year after they did that deal with us, I'd go back in front of, front of city council and pitch them to, to increase their, their tourism spend with us and do more. And uh, in, in 2011, we went super late model race, and they, they were a primary partner in our car and really couldn't have done that season without them because we had a lot of fun and learned a lot of stuff. And you, you got to uh, take a minute for me now. I'm loving the story, but I'm really loving the creativity of your, of your marketing capability. <laughs> I mean, you, now, you know, I was okay with the car dealer. I got that. Yeah. that was, now you got a town. City council. City council <laughs> who you're, you, you've convinced to spend tourism dollars. T tell me how that first started. I mean, it don't, don't take long doing it, but, I mean, that's that's really interesting. How, how did you come it really about was. doing that? They, they had a deal. Forest Acres had a deal where – if you went down there and stayed in a hotel or went to a restaurant, they had a 2% hospitality tax fund that was collected up throughout the year. They used to promote a tourism spend within the city. And uh, I remember one day, 07, 08, my dad was reading an article in the newspaper talking about it. And he goes, this is, uh, you know, a race team kind of falls into this. You know, you're traveling outside city limits. We're racing around, you know, all the places around here, Charlotte, Greenville, Anderson, going to Atlanta, racing down there. You need to go in here and make a pitch to these guys. And went into city council and pitched them. And I think that first sponsorship we did was fifteen or $20,000 for our legend car. And they they loved the idea and, and jumped on board with us. And we would do – I'd probably do nine or ten appearances around the city throughout the year. We had them all over the car. And, and it just grew every year uh, after that till I think their last year with us was probably 2014. They were with me all the way almost six years as a partner on our program and then really stepping up and it was really special and really cool. But the, the crazy thing about it, and I think Mike, you'd appreciate this is usually you build a relationship with a sponsor, a partner, you kind of know where you stand, you know, a month or two before the end of the year, whether they're going to come back, what the temperature is. This deal was, I never knew. I just had to go back into city council every year and, and repitch them. And I had to show them all the math and the numbers and, Definitely learned a lot about, uh, you know, showing ROI on your sponsorship back then as a teenager and learning how this stuff worked and diving into some of the politics side of things and understanding how all that stuff worked. And that really was uh, that was a really cool partnership that I learned a lot through in the process. And the city kind of took me under their wing and challenged me to, to show, you know, that the sponsorship was working and understanding how that stuff worked. And that was uh, that was a pretty cool, cool little program we did there. And that that town deal with with forest acres kind of keyed up another cool sponsorship we did back in kind of jumping all over the place on you but 2007 um we were going to go racing and I, I didn't have enough money to go run the shootout that year we had enough money to run local you know we could have gone to hickory or lanier but didn't have, just short enough to not be able to run the shootout so i remember i, I painted a legend car painted it white put numbers on it and it didn't have a single sponsor decal on it i went around forest acres and for i think at the time it was 100 bucks you could sign my race car with a sharpie you were on there for the whole year and you got a little certificate and a plaque that you're a official partner of the race team so we did that for about a week and uh raised oh, i think it was right at ten thousand dollars through sharpies <laughs> That's <amazing>. sharpie autographs <laughs> and all cash hundred dollars uh, from, from every autograph and uh met a lot of people and that was kind of what spurred up the forest acres deal because when i went to do the pitch you know a year later everybody kind of knew who i was and knew my stories so that's uh creativity has kind of spurred a lot of things uh to to be possible on this journey but 
that was a pretty cool one we had with the with the city and their sponsorship was that that was that just uh, if i may ask it this way was that your creativity i mean or did you have somebody mentoring you along the way or is that because you know dad says hey you got to find some sponsor money and you you're just an educated young man and went out there and got after it yeah that was that was really about it you know my, my dad his his kind of thinking was it may be wrong it may be right but at least try something you know it's uh you, you can kind of get in this perfection loop cycle where you never get anything done because you're worried about doing it right or doing it wrong. And um, his, his push for me was just do something, go try. And, you know, if, if, it, if, it, if it doesn't go well and they turn you down, at least you learn how to be better for the next time. And that's kind of been our story from day one is just trial and error, you know, just figuring out stuff along the way. And I look back on the last 20 years, you know, would I have done some things different? Probably. But at the time, you know, we just didn't know any different. We didn't, we were figuring out as we went and, um, we had some people that would give us advice along the way here and there, but, you know, the advice was always, you need more money or you need to go, you know, pay us this money for this advice or we'll, <laughs> we'll represent you for this much money or you give me this much money and I'll make sure I bring you back this much. And, you know, you know how the story goes and sure, never, yeah. never could afford to do any of those deals and just kind of did, did trial and error for, for most of it. And, and, you know, it was, uh. A lot of stories, a lot of met a lot of interesting people over the years and, and, and you know, pretty, pretty crazy, but that kind of led us up through the, the super late model stuff. And let's get that back. Was when, let's get back. To this... got I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. That was when things started to get interesting for sure. When I, when I moved back to the, to the asphalt late model stuff. Let me ask you something. And this kind of addresses the, what do they call it? The big elephant in the room. That's the topic of conversation in the last few weeks in the whole motorsports world. And gosh, it's perfect that you're on. When you were raising that money and making those sales pitches and standing in front of that board at the at the city, do you think you would have had an opportunity to race had you not been out there trying to find money? No, no, I I, I probably would have run that year or two in Bandoleros, and we maybe could have run a year in Legend Cars. Mm -hmm. and uh that would have probably probably been it you know i mean i, I think i maybe could have scrounged it a few more years and that was the thing that was I, I look back on that was tough i think for me internally when you process a lot of this stuff is you you look at all this and the racing and all this and back when when i was racing legend cars you know call it naive or just calling it not knowing it but i thought when i was racing those legend cars you know in my head i'm sitting there on the grid i'm like all right if i go out and i win you know, four races this year and I win the championship, that's going to get me a opportunity to go get a ride somewhere. That's going to, you know, put me on the radar. And it, it, it kind of did put me on the radar and, you know, they, they'd have all these um, lists of prospects and do all this stuff. And I I'd be on those lists and included in some of the conversations. But at the end of the day, the, the guys that moved up were the guys that had the funding to go get in a ARCA car or go get in the late model or, you know, go do those kind of things. And so, you know, I, I look back and I, and I'm thankful that, you know, when I was 12 or 13, my parents were like, Hey, they, they had the, the foresight to say, Hey, we, we can't support this. We can't write a check for this every year. We'll help get you rolling at a lower level, but we got to figure out how to, how to do this. And they spent a lot of hours working with me to learn, learn this all together. We were all doing it together. And there's a picture my mom found the other day and it was, you know, me and my dad sitting Indian style on the floor when I was 12 or 13 printing and cutting and making these binders and making all this stuff to go pitch these, these companies and um, learned a lot early on. I mean, I, I, I went to college at Belmont Abbey, but I learned, I think more in that progression up to it about marketing just by going and doing those meetings and being in them. But yeah, if it wasn't for the, the sponsorship that I raised over the years, it, it probably would have been the, the last that you, you would have seen of me racing legend cars back in the day. Well, it's it's really nice to hear all the effort and the success you had in that, Jordan. And the reason I brought that up, and it has not really 100% to do with your career, but there was a conversation in the last two weeks that came out where, where Joey Logano uh, was actually being interviewed with my brother, Kenny Wallace. And Joey Logano told Kenny, he says, the system is broke. He says, I'm a two-time cup champion, and I had to pay and bring money to race a truck at Bristol this year. They, nobody would give me a ride just to drive the thing. I had to bring a sponsor dollars. He says, something's messed up here. <laughs> and uh, Jeff and I and Rich were talking. I said, well, Jordan Anderson will know the story, yeah. meaning can you or can't you because you've been so successful at it. And uh, 
Th- thanks for answering that. I mean, that's uh, money you know, make the world go round. Yeah, well, like Jordan, it's it's, Jordan, a, it's an interesting it's an interesting point you bring that up because I actually had uh, I'm gonna jump. We'll we'll go back on some of that stuff because I got some stories from the late model stuff I want to share. But yeah. when I started our Xfinity team up in 21, you know, the plan was for for me to run for rookie of the year that year. Hey, ho- hold that thought. We'll come back for that. Yeah, running out of time here in segment two. We're talking to Jordan Anderson. You're listening to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace on the Speed Sport Podcast Network, powered by My Race Pass and NASCAR Digital Media. Please join me, Mark Ficken, and our team at Mark Ficken Ford Lincoln in honoring our brave heroes this Independence Day. We're celebrating by matching Ford and Lincoln's incentive of $1,000 off every new vehicle for active military and first responders with an extra $1,000 off. And now through July 10th, when you buy a new vehicle, we'll donate $50 to the Military Warriors Support Foundation on your behalf. Visit us today at Mark Fick and Ford Lincoln on South Boulevard or FordLincolnCharlotte.com. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Welcome back to the Speed Sport Podcast Studios. You're listening to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace. My name is Jeff Kent. We're brought to you by Mark Ficken Ford Lincoln on South Boulevard. The team at Mark Ficken Ford Lincoln works hard every day to be a community partner in supporting their customers, local businesses, as well as being involved in local charities and programs. Visit FordLincolnCharlotte.com today for your next vehicle selection, service appointment, or collision need. We're talking to Jordan Anderson once again. Here's Mike Wallace. Well, Jordan, as I mentioned, I kind of jump around on, on the show a little bit, but you were going to jump forward for me on your Xfinity series because we were talking about having to bring money to race or find sponsors. So let's go there, and we'll go back to where we need to in that late model program. Yeah, you know, I, I had John Bomrito is is a partner with me on the team now, and you know, we, it, the team name is, is Jordan Anderson Racing Bomrito Autosport. We did a new new rebranding of the team in, in twenty two and. He went from a, a sponsor of mine to now a, a partner on the team and, and been a great mentor for me and taking this team to the next level. And I told John about a month ago, I said, hey, I need you to come by the shop. I need a, a day of your time to, to talk about our team and the vision. And this was after we had, we had won our first race at Talladega just about a month ago with Jeb. And I said, we need to really plot out what our, what our plans are here because as a race team and the business model – it's, it's a very slippery slope if you're not careful. And that's what I wanted to talk to John about. I said, you know, what are, what are your goals for this team? Because really, a race team is not like any other business that's out there. Because when you operate, let's, let's say you're operating a dealership. And this was a good example I gave him. I said, you get your inventory, you hire your people, you've got your rent or your mortgage for your building, and you hit a cap that your budget is going to be this and you can make it operate and you can make money and you can, you can basically roll that in and you open your second one and you go from there. I said, a race team's a little bit different because you never hit that ceiling on spending. Cause you can, you can have, we're going to build a new chassis. We're going to hang a new body and we're going to twist it this way, or we're going to buy new calipers and, you know, we're going to buy new rotors every race. So we're going to hire an extra engineer. We want to research this and, we're buying a, a Romer arm because we want to start measuring our, our bodies and our chassis. And, you know, where does where does it stop? And that's why I told him, I said, it, it's crazy because even though we've grown as a team to where, you know, we're operating on a, you know, seven, eight million dollar budget for both of these cars total. Um, you could just keep going. Like you could just spend as much as you want to, to, to go racing in this stuff, but that's where it's just crazy. And it's unlike any other business, but you got to figure out, I said, are we going to operate this race team as, a business and operate on a business model where your goal is to make money or do you want to win races? <laughs> and we said, you know, our goal is somewhere in the middle. We got to keep the race team in the green and it's got to make sense on what sponsorship comes in and all that kind of stuff and keep it in the green to where we're not just dumping money into it. But we want to be competitive because there's, there's been teams over the years that, you know, their goal, their sole goal 
is to make a profit and they, that's all they're good and there's some teams that the whole goal is to win races but sometimes those teams disappear after a couple of years so it's like how do we figure out to find that balance so that we're here for the next 30 40 50 years so it's an interesting discussion in the business model side of the sport and uh it, it definitely lights me up to figure out how to play money ball with it to allocate money to to the areas that are important but it is uh it is it is for sure and safe to say that the racing business model is one of one there's no other sport or business that operates like how we do well i'd like to compliment you first of all you have john bomarito as a partner of yours uh jeff bomarito automotive group is out of st louis missouri where i grew up oh, no they're a major they they are the largest privately owned car automotive network in that area and uh, they're big players and jordan you'll love this i don't know if john's ever shared this with you i uh after they sponsored the bomarito 500 which was the IndyCar race a few years ago. I was so impressed. He was on television, and uh, I found his phone number, his, his office number, and got a hold of his gal, and I left a message for him. And he called me back, and I introduced myself, and I just wanted to con congratulate him and thank him for all the effort he put in the motorsports in the St. Louis area. You know, we were kids that grew up, went to Fox High School, Everybody thought we were weirdos because we drove race cars, you know. And uh, <laughs> here's a guy that's a big businessman and uh, really invested in motorsports from a marketing side. Then he got involved with you, and I just thought it was so cool. And he was so nice. He sent me a couple bottles of Bomberito wine afterwards no with nice. a note saying thank you. It was really enjoyable. I sent him some stuff back. So uh, you got a great partner there with, with the Bomberitos, uh, with John Bomberito. No, he, he's been really, really great over the years. And the story and how we, we met those guys was, was a pretty cool one and how it, it all got started out, but he's been such a great partner and mentor. And, you know, he, he, he's, he's kind of much like Dick Dyer when I first met him 20 years ago, John's kind of the same. He's like, Hey, you know, I'm not just going to cut you a check to help support this thing. Let's figure out how to, how to make it to where it's sustainable. And we're going to really leverage our business to business here with who he's buying from and, and kind of much like Rick and Roger do on a larger scale with their cup teams. And, mm -hmm. You know, let's let's figure out how to make this work. So we worked really hard behind the scenes to, to connect some of those dots. But pretty cool how, how I met John. And this goes back to when I was was racing trucks. And everybody kind of always asked me, like, how, how the heck did you go truck racing with with not a lot of money? And um, 2014, I'd run a handful of late model races. And we ran a cannon race at Greenville. And I had a guy come to me that said, hey, you know what? I want to go run. Uh, a NASCAR team and him and I got hooked up and you know back then when you're you know I was probably 22 23 at the time I'm like whatever deal I can work to get in a race car I'm I'm grinding for it to figure out how to make it work and I met this guy and there were some red flags early on that I probably should have looked at and, and kind of been aware of but he's like you know money's not an issue you know we'll spend whatever we got to do let's put it together and and you know those are usually famous last words when you when you hear that <laughs> And, uh, we put this deal together, went and ran Richmond and, uh, he wrote all the checks, paid for everything. And, and about two weeks after we ran Richmond, um, I think Minsky shocks called me check bounce. The crew chief called me check bounce. Um, pretty much every check he, he wrote was bounced. He ended up going to jail for some other stuff and just kind of got a pretty messy situation involved with, and this was, this would have been 2014. And, um, I called my dad once everything kind of came to light and I kind of told him everything. And he said, you got, got two, two things you can do here. He said, you can, uh, you can sell everything you got and pay off the bad debt, or you could just keep digging and have that kind of reputation attached to your name. And, and, you know, how do you want to do this? And I told him, I said, well, if I say, if I sell everything I got, um, my racing career is probably, probably over, probably done for at the point and was going to move back home and, so I put my late model on racing junk and had everything out there. And then about a month later sold my super late model that I had that we had won a lot of races with that year. I think we run, we won three of them at Southern national, had a lot of success with it and sold it, sold the engines I had sold some other stuff. I kept my dually and gooseneck, but sold everything else and um, paid all the debt off. And it's kind of crazy. I had, so you paid off that guy's debt. That's the guy made the debt, right? But you, you yeah, stood good it on was, it. Yep, he he. It was his checks and his name, but I figured it was probably the right thing to do to pay everybody's debt off. And and it was probably I sold my I sold everything for probably fifty thousand dollars, and the debt was probably right at thirty. I think it was thirty five thousand. I think it was somewhere in that range. Wow. Um, 
for everything on the deal and sold that, that, that all off. That was a big hit for you, wasn't it? Yeah, and I and I'll be honest with you, I did a lot of praying, a lot of a lot of getting back to you know why am I here? What's led me to this point? What's my purpose in life? Did a lot of soul searching, a lot of praying, trying to figure that stuff out. And, you know, my dad, again, he's, he's kind of always been my sounding board. He said, you know, nothing and nothing in life happens by accident. This has got you to this point for a reason. And I'd probably made some, some bad decisions to get me to that point. It kind of brought me back down to, to ground zero on that whole situation. And this is kind of where things got interesting. I just, I still remember the day I went back home. I stayed with my parents for a week and uh just prayed you know god if this is where you want me to be just open the door if not close it and make it you know make it obvious so i i, I don't have any regrets about it and i remember I, I i saw i was watching the truck entry list and i'd run two two canon races so i had my approval i talked to brett bodan i had my approval to go truck racing and i had you know i had probably seventeen, eighteen thousand dollars in the bank at the time and um i remember calling up um Mark Beaver on Make Motorsports at the time, and this was in July, August. I said, "Hey, I'd, I'd like to try to run, you know, Phoenix for you." And this was back when Phoenix was the second to last race, and Homestead was the final. And uh, I said, "I want to figure out how to come run some truck races for you." And he goes, "Well, I got this race sold. Martinsville sold. This is sold, but I got Phoenix open. And if you can round up, you know, if you can buy three or four sets of tires for me, come run my truck." And, uh, I was like, well, what's that going to cost? Well, I had no idea what tires cost at the time. And he said, if you can bring me, you know, $8,000, uh, come run my truck at Phoenix and, uh, locked that deal in and flew out there to Phoenix. I had no idea what I was getting into and ran my first truck race out there at Phoenix. And, and it went really good. And he said, Hey, if you can, uh, you can do this deal, you know, again, for Homestead, come, come run at Homestead. And, um, then he ended up selling the ride. I got booted from that one. And then Mike Harmon actually got in touch with me. He said, Hey, if you do that same thing, come run for me at, at Homestead in my truck. And that was where my truck racing career kind of got off and um, got to know Mike over the off season in 2014 to 2015. And, and he had that truck sitting there. And I kind of went to Mike and I said, Hey, if, if I can figure out some way, I can't do this much money every race, but if, if, you know, I'll work on it, I'll take it to the track. I'll pay for, you know, the cost to race it. And he said, all right, here's the deal. I'll give you, I'll give you a truck and a motor. You figure out how to get to the racetrack. You line up the pit crew. You, you know, I'll buy your first set of tires. You got to figure out the rest. And, um, fast forward to 2015, we ran every single race that year, except Eldora with that truck. We took that one truck. It went to Daytona. It went to Martinsville. It went to Mossport. It went to Pocono. It went to Talladega. <laughs> It went every every race that year, and uh, it was me and two or three buddies that ran that whole season in 2015. And Mike definitely gave me a huge opportunity to do that deal. And we raced on a shoestring budget. I mean, I remember going, I'd go around the pit area, hustling scuff tires, making deals with tire guys to buy their mock-up sets. I mean, we did all that kind of stuff. Worked in parking lots and um, kind of did that whole deal and, and did that 15, ran in 2016. And then back in 17, again, that was the third year of, you know, driving across the country, Mike and I got hooked back up again in 2017, racing all across the country, doing it the same way, taking one truck and going everywhere. And it was, it was, it was ragged out at times, but you know what? There were some races where I think Michigan, we finished 11th or 12th. We, we had a bunch of top 15s, finished 13th at Vegas with this truck, worked really hard on it. I mean, we were pretty much, you know, um, running a, running a package that I could run coil bound right front and, seal it off on the earth and put, put, you know, get three or four guys to stand on the front splitter and pull it down the parking lot that way. And we did it kind of old school, but it worked and the stuff was fast and nothing bolted it. Nothing fell apart really that year, but we broke down in Iowa that year and had done some small sponsorship with Bomberito. I actually called him. We were racing the gateway uh, for a set of tires and put them on the hood of the truck for a set of tires and that was kind of what kickstarted that whole relationship. I remember calling the racetrack and said, Hey, do you got anybody here at the track that, you know, has got a billboard or a suite that may want to be on a truck for, you know, I'll put them on the hood for 2,500 bucks for a set of tires. And, uh, got connected up with Chuck Wallace over there to kind of help make the deal happen. And, um, in 2017, when our truck broke down, Bomberito actually came through and gave us a dually off of his GMC lot there to help pull the hauler and, kept that whole program going through the rest of the year and, and kept building that relationship with those guys. And that's what eventually led to them doing, doing more for us. So how did the dually deal come about? I, I, I think I've heard bits <laughs> and pieces of this story from somebody and I was intrigued by it. So 
you were out on the road and your truck broke down. Is that what you're saying? Or I got that wrong? Yep. Yep. We were, we were actually right outside in um, Arnold, Missouri over there. I think it was. That's Arnold. where we grew up yeah. at. Yep. yep. And um, actually walked in. It's a funny story. Walked into a truck stop over there. And of all people, I see your brother. He's the first person I see. I see Kenny there. He'd been <laughs> dirt racing somewhere, had mud in his hair still. And uh, I said, Hey man, I'm, my truck's broke down. I, you got anybody I can call? And he gave me Mike Mittler's number from out that way and um, called Mike that night. Mike, you know, he hooked me up with the local diesel mechanic and Mike gave me a uh, hit an old Tahoe. He let me drive around for the week while we got it fixed and um, kind of helped spur that thing up. That's when Bomberito heard about all that stuff that was going on. And uh, he said, you know, I want to help you out. He said, you know, I can give you money. I can give you all this stuff with sponsorship, but looks like you need a truck, a reliable truck. And uh, we traded out. I think I put him on the truck for probably seven or eight races that year and traded out uh, that dually that he gave us to, to pull the hauler with the, that year. And man, I, I tell you, that was, I look back on it now and I don't know how we, we pulled it off because we were just driving from track to track and sleeping in that dually and then doing whatever we could get to the racetrack but we had a lot of a lot of fun back then a lot of a lot of stories for sure that's perseverance right there and your dad was right jordan everything happens for a reason you know what i mean <laughs> good lord all right let's take a break right here we'll come back we're talking to jordan anderson you're listening to fast car to nascar with mike wallace on the speed sport podcast network powered by my race pass and nascar digital media Please join me, Mark Ficken, and our team at Mark Ficken Ford Lincoln in honoring our brave heroes this Independence Day. We're celebrating by matching Ford and Lincoln's incentive of $1,000 off every new vehicle for active military and first responders with an extra $1,000 off. And now through July 10th, when you buy a new vehicle, we'll donate $50 to the Military Warriors Support Foundation on your behalf. Visit us today at Mark Fick and Ford Lincoln on South Boulevard or FordLincolnCharlotte.com. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome back to the Speed Sport Podcast Studios. You're listening to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace. My name is Jeff Kent. We're brought to you today by Mark Fick and Ford Lincoln on South Boulevard. The team at Mark Fick and Ford Lincoln works hard every day to be a community partner in supporting their customers, local businesses, as well as being involved in local charities and programs. Visit FordLincolnCharlotte.com today for your next vehicle selection, service appointment, or collision need. One more segment with Jordan Anderson. Once again, here's Mike Wallace. Well, Jordan, like a good show goes, we're going to run out of time if we don't fast forward some things because you you got such a great storyline. We could we could do many follow ups. So hopefully we can get you to come back and focus on some other things. So you you met Mr. Bomarito. He he gave you a vehicle because I, I got to get to that part first. Did you kind of make a storyline? You're a marketing guy, so do that uh, social media would have been out and around by that time. Were you telling the world that you were broke down on the side of the road and needed help or <laughs> how did, how did you, he come to hearing about the story? Yeah, we, we actually um, had got talk, started talking. We got the dually fixed back up and back on the road. And then it broke down again a few weeks later and it was a, a constant struggle. And I was talking to him and I, and I kind of would text him pictures uh, as we were traveling across the country and, you know, he, him and Chuck were just kind of so enthralled because, you know, these guys here are just, just kind of following racing and he's seeing a part of it that you don't ever see. You know, a lot of times uh, as a race fan, you don't understand and see all that goes on behind the scenes to get to the racetrack and travel. And those guys just fell in love with all the behind the scenes stuff of figuring out how to get to the racetrack and travel along. And, um, you know, they, they jumped on board as, as a bigger partner with us year after year. And, He's just been such a great partner to have. Great, great friend now. He was actually the best man at my wedding last year when I got married. And um, pretty, pretty cool deal. My dad officiated it and then I had John as my best man. And um, a lot of, a lot of great friendships have been built this whole deal. And to go from, you know, after doing all that stuff in 17, driving all over for, for Mike and, and forever grateful for Harmony and the opportunity he gave me. But I said, you know what? I think that 
in 2018, I said, I, I think that I, I can do this deal on my own. And I went to John, I said, Hey, if you'll, if you'll step up with your sponsorship a little bit, I want to start my own team up. And we bought um, a couple trucks and a couple of Elmore motors. That's when that deal first started going and kind of a cool story. Everybody always want to know how I found the three number. And that was an interesting story in itself. Cause I wanted to get the the seven number for Kawiki. Cause I was like, that's kind of a cool storyline. Well, that was taken. And I was like, all right, how about the two? We'll do it. Like Mark Martin's ASA car from back in the day that was taken. And I went after like four or five numbers and I was like, just send me a list of numbers that are available. And the three was available. I'm like, well, I actually in college did a story on junior Johnson, the last great American hero uh, article that, that Tom Wolf wrote about him. I'm like, man, that's, that was when he was running the three, three car. I'm like, that would be a cool number to grab. So we ran the three truck in 18, 19, 20, had a lot of, a lot of success with it for, you know, we were a small team back then doing what we could to get by and, kind of had the opportunity to, to look at going Xfinity racing. And, and I told John, I said, Hey, look here. I, I think this is the the next step for us as a team to go racing. I said, are you, you behind this deal? And that's when he, he bought a, um, a minority stake in our race team and kind of helped take it to the next level for him to have, have some skin in the game with us to help have this thing going. And for me, it's been a nice to not know that it was all on my shoulders. It's nice to have somebody to go to, to say, Hey, you know, I need some help with this or, you know, you got somebody else that's in there working with you on it, but we've, we've really bootstrapped this deal up. We bought our um, shop that we're in now at the end of 2021 here in Statesville. We bought, bought the property in the shop and we've expanded it out. We got a, you know, a nice home. Now we've got two, two haulers. We've got, I think, I think we bought our 30th chassis the other day and got 20, 25 full-time employees up here. And, you know, if you had told me we were going to have all this stuff going, heck five years ago i would have told you you were you were insane and it's kind of crazy it's it's been taking some getting used to to not racing every week you know being behind the wheel but i tell you when we won talladega earlier this year that was a fulfilling feeling unlike anything i'd ever seen before because you had you know jeb is out here working to build his career back up i had shane whitbeck our crew chief on the 27 got his first nascar win all these guys that are a part of this and you know, it's been so cool to give guys opportunity to come into our team and, and see them shine and see them succeed and, you know, have people that are racers that believe in, and, you know, we're out kicking our coverage every week because we're racing against some of these these bigger teams that are out here every week and to, to outwork them and, and outthink them and, and go out here and win a race like that was, was pretty awesome. And we didn't luck into it. I mean, Jeb won a stage and was up there all day and that was, that was pretty awesome to finally check that box to, to get a win and be a part of something like that. And, it's been pretty, pretty amazing to see all the doors that have opened and all the great people that have been in our path that have, that have helped make this thing happen because, uh, man, it's, it really has been a ride. It's, uh, there were many a times we're broke down on the side of the road. I'm like, I, I've lost my mind. I need to go get a nine to five, and <laughs> go sit at a desk in air conditioning and, and do a normal job. But I'm thankful that I, uh, I was crazy enough to keep sticking through, through it all back then. Well, t tell me, let's back up just a little bit on that, because first of all, congratulations on winning Talladega. Congratulations on the success of becoming a car team owner. But what I really want to know a little bit about is when did you kind of make the decision that you didn't need to be in the seat every week? That That's really hard for a guy that wanted to be the race car driver. When, yeah, when, when, did nah. that, when did that come about? Because, uh, and if I may tell the fans and Jeff that you know, I'm sure you do from our company, Larry McReynolds is his father-in-law. Right. That's cool. You know, and, and, yeah. and Larry. That's a good guy to know. Yeah. And, <laughs> and, and I mean that in just a such a way because Larry was on the show and he was bragging about you, but he was also talking about how, you know, you got hurt pretty bad or burn up pretty good at Talladega last year, but you were phasing yourself out of the driver's seat already. So how, how did that thought even come about to go, okay, I'm, I'm going to take myself out of the seat, but I'm going to keep a team. How, how'd you do that? Yeah, that was kind of always the goal, I guess, in the back of my mind when I started the team up in 18 was, you know, I want to race, I want to run, I want to do all this stuff. But, you know, every every driver has a shelf life. But, you know, the, the team, if I got it up and healthy and growing, it could it could go beyond my driving career. And that was kind of in the back of my head there. But in 21, when we started the Xfinity team up, I, I was talking about earlier, we were planning on me running the 31 car for the full year to run for Rookie of the Year. We had everything lined up had it all ready to go and we go down there to daytona i finished second in the truck race friday night you were excited we were i remember watching those interviews we're, man i was excited <laughs> and uh we were eighth in xfinity practice that day car was really good i felt we were gonna have no problem had an ecr motor had a 
a car we had bought from RCR. That thing was going to qualify in no problem. And we got to the track and about 30 minutes before qualifying, it started to rain and uh, it sent us home. We didn't even get a chance to qualify that year. And that was when there was still the COVID structure and qualifying to where if you missed the show at Daytona, you couldn't race again until Coda 10 races later. And uh, that was pretty tough. That was a that was a gut punch if there ever ever was one to say, hey, I just spent all this money to go Xfinity racing, committed to run the year, and I can't even go try to qualify the next week. And uh, see, I didn't know that. I didn't. Did you know that, Jeff? That you could? Are you saying that since you missed Daytona, you couldn't go for ten more races because of that COVID deal? Yeah, they there was only about six races that year that had open qualifying, and the rest of them, unless you were in the top. 40 in points you were locked out oh my gosh and uh there was there was two or three other teams in that same boat with myself and um during that period i got thinking about coda was going to be the next race i'm like i've got a lot riding on this i'm going to take the the sump of you know keeping payroll going for three months and rent and all this other stuff and and all rides on we had coda and charlotte back to back had two races to get enough points to try to get in the top 40 over guys that have run the first 10 races, which is a huge task. And I said, you know what, this is, I kind of took myself out of it. I said, I need to get a guy that's got a, I, that's got some experience that can go take our car, get some stage points and compete and get us enough points to go racing. I said, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take a backseat on this deal. So we got started talking around the Chevy and talking to some people and got in touch with Tyler Reddick. And we, we locked in Tyler to run a handful of races for us, but the first two he ran Coda went out there and finished eighth for us, did a great job, showed up at Charlotte the next week, finished fifth, and another great job for us. And this is where things got a little crazy is we were still outside the top 40 by three points. I think, yeah, three points going into mid-Ohio the following week. So we were technically still barred from competing. But we got doing a little digging in the rule book and found a loophole. You can call it a loophole. You can call it a rule, whatever you want to call it that said any Xfinity Series winner from that year would get a provisional in a car no matter what if he won a race that year. And that was when Josh Berry was still running part-time for JRM. So we called up Chevy, called up JRM, said, hey, can we put Josh in our car from mid-Ohio and essentially lock our car in? And uh, they were all good with it. We put Josh in the car. He went out there and finished eighth. We had three top tens for our first three starts. And we were 39th in points all of a sudden, and that was kind of where everything got up and going. I was like, hey, we might be on to something here, putting guys uh, in these cars. I know they can compete and ran, run good, and we had um, Kaz Graw drove for us that year, Sage Karam, myself. You know, I got to run Talladega that year, finished fifth. It was pretty cool to, to do that. Had a lot of success with it, and a lot of other guys ran for us to help get us to where we are today. And in the year, we had all this good PR around our team, and, and Maya Snyder had run for RCR the year before and was looking for a home for 2021 – or 2022, I'm sorry, and, and came to us. And he brought his tax layer sponsorship and, and came and ran for us the, the following year and, and had a great – we almost won our first race at Portland with him last year. And then uh, fast forward to this year, I told John, I said, hey, we've got a lot of people that are interested in coming to run for us. Let's uh, – let's pull the trigger and start a second team up and uh that's where um, we actually put jeb's deal together first for the second car and the 27 and then we landed parker redsloff and his Funkaway partnership in the 31 and uh it's really been great for us the, the whole concept there with two teams was you know more more smart people under the roof here at our shop working together and when we build our cars they they get built the same and, and they go to the plate and the crew chiefs can work on them from there but trying to build them to where they're all the same and give these guys some good equipment it's been it's been awesome to see it go from getting sent home at daytona really that's that's only been really two and a half years ago two years ago and to be running with two teams every week has, has been pretty cool to see how far it's come yeah jordan so tell me uh, uh real quick who is parker i mean i swear to god i never heard of the guy before until he started <laughs> driving your race car and, and he's running well and it's like who is this guy where did he even come from <laughs> Parker just he just turned 20. He's from uh, Rhinelander, Wisconsin, and uh, he's kind of one of the iRacing prodigies. He's where he, he got a lot of seat time running on iRace, and he was number one internationally there for a while. But he cut his teeth Bandolero racing, ran on dirt for a little while, got into some late models, and he really has has ascended through the ranks really quickly. Ran ran a handful of late model races, ran 
some ARCA races and then jumped up to run Xfinity last year. And he ran four or five races last year in Xfinity, completely jumped over trucks. He only ran one truck race last year. But I remember the first time I saw him at Phoenix last year, he hopped in the Seeks car and went out there and qualified six. And I'm like, this kid is, really? this is impressive. Okay. And uh, he's such a good qualifier. He, we went to Darlington uh, a few weeks ago. He went out there and he qualified eighth. He had six laps total on the track. And he was bummed because he didn't get any more out of the car. And I told him, I said, I don't think you realize how cool <laughs> what you just did is. Like, you've seen this place. You've run six laps out here, and he just went qualified eighth. I think he was a tenth and a half off of Larson. I'm like, this is pretty, pretty impressive. And he's just a quiet kid. He's he's coming out of his shell more, but he, he takes care of his equipment. That's the, the good thing is he knows that both guys, Jeb and, and Parker, have done a great job. And I, and I harp on him about that is we are still a growing team. And the only way we can beat these big teams, if you guys bring me these cars home with the fenders on it and we can bring them home, we can massage on them and we'll make them better for the next week. And I can't tell you these guys have gone multiple weeks or we'll bring a car home and we may have to change a back bumper or something like that. And that's it. And, you know, on the team side, how huge that is to, to help make these cars better and, and to really fluff and buff and, and make them go quicker. And it's been so cool having two drivers that can respect and appreciate how important it is to take care of the equipment so we can make it better. Well, we're going to run out of time, but I need to bring something up. You were talking about the, those guys bringing cars home. Was this story? Maybe Larry told me this story. Did you maybe send uh, you guys had wrecked a car or damaged a car, <laughs> had it fixed, and uh, you sent Jeb a copy of the invoice the week of and just wanted him to know what it cost to fix that? Is that the way I heard that, or is that right or wrong? <laughs> It is. We, we, had, we ran Coda uh, earlier this year and had a great – we ran 11th, 12th all day. Yeah, we were there all day, all afternoon. We are going to have a good finish. The car was clean. And coming off the final corner, him and Brandon Jones got into it. And uh, Jeb was on the short end of the stick, got spun out, backed into the front stretch wall, and it bent the rear clip and the front clip. And, uh, I mean, it was to fix everything. It was a $30,000 bill for between chassis and body and all that stuff. Yikes. And <laughs> I got all that stuff back. I said, uh, you know, Hey, FYI, here's, here's what that racing for that one spot cost us was 30 grand. I said that 30 grand could have been put towards, you know, buying some new shaft springs. It could have been, you know, I can build a whole nother car for you for that much, almost, you know, a chassis and body. And, uh, I just like, just FYI. So, you know, and then, <laughs> Believe it or not, the the next three weeks he brought the thing home without a scratch on it. So <laughs> maybe it paid off, right? Yeah, well, a, you hear these stories and you want to know if they're really how they turned out. But uh, man, we're we're out of time, and I hate that because we could talk literally for hours. But what a success! I'm I'm really proud of you. I uh, I feel like I I knew you in early stages of your career, running them legend cars and that over at Charlotte Motor Speedway, and here you winning. Talladega is a car owner, and they got a two-car Xfinity team, and you're a businessman now. You you're married. You got all that cool stuff going on. So. Great, great racing stories. Yeah, one of the good guys, Jordan. Yeah. Well, I certainly appreciate it. It's uh, been a fun journey. A lot of a lot of great friendships over the years, and and you know, Mike, appreciate you guys having us on. And same thing, you know, seeing you know our, our all that we've been through and all you fight through i mean that's one thing that's cool about racing is it's never short for stories and, and great friendships you meet along the way so i appreciate you guys let me come on and, and and talk talk track with you a little bit and excited to see what the next 10 years has in store for sure sounds wonderful we appreciate it very much indeed jordan anderson best of luck you've been listening to fast car to nascar with mike wallace on the speed sport podcast network powered by my race pass and nascar digital media we'll see you next week